Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. We thank you again for the opportunity to gather and, and to celebrate and to sing and to study your word, Father. Just open our eyes, Lord, to your truth this morning. Just encourage us and challenge us and convict us, Father. Mold us and shape us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we are continuing our study this morning in the gospel of Mark, a study about the life of Christ, about his ministry, about all the incredible things that he's doing, and we've seen a, a lot of movement so far in our study, we've seen a lot of miraculous things, we've seen more and more excitement build, and we've, we've talked about how the crowds are getting larger, the excitement that, that these people are uh, experiencing is growing Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom, a new way of thinking, a new understanding, and he's coming into conflict with religious leaders. There's a group of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and and leaders within the Jewish religion that see what Jesus is doing. They begin to question what Jesus is doing, and it's going to lead them to plot to kill him and eventually to his crucifixion. Now, there's going to be an interesting distinction made this week. It's a theme that's going to continue to run really through the middle part of the book of Mark. A contrast is beginning to emerge, and I want you to understand this. This is important for our context today, and it'll be important for the next few weeks. There's a a contrast that's beginning to emerge between the true followers of Jesus, the people that really want to seek him, really want to follow him, really want to give their lives to him, and the people that are just kind of casual followers People that want to gain something from Jesus, they're following him around because he's doing miraculous things, he teaches with authority, he's kind of an anomaly right now, they've never really seen anything like him, and so they're following him to kind of see what they can get from him, to see what he'll do for them, but they're not really true followers, and so there's this, there's this division that's beginning to form the book of Mark between his true followers, the people that are willing to follow him, and kind of the casual believer. And here's what I want you to see, this is important this morning because I don't want us to fall into this same trap. It's important for us to see this morning that it's not enough just to want to see Jesus. It's not enough just to listen to his teaching. We're going to see this morning it's not enough just to reach out and touch him. Jesus is going to teach this morning and increasingly through the book of Mark that if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, we must be willing to devote everything about ourselves to him. Everything. And I fear that in our modern world and maybe in the Western church that we've kind of set that idea aside and we're willing to follow Jesus in some things, but then there are other things in our lives that we're not really willing to give to him. So the question this morning in the text is, 
Are we a true disciple? Are we a true believer? Are we willing to devote everything to Jesus? So I'm going to jump right in this morning, Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Just a reminder of what's going on, kind of set the context for us. Mark chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed. There it is again. We've seen this over and over again. From Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And they told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, right? There's so many people, they're pressing into him so much that they're going to crush him. So they have to get a boat ready to take him out on the sea to get away from the crowds. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Like they just wanted to touch his garment. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Continue in verse 13. So he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired, right? So there's, there's this beginning, we're beginning to see this trend now. He's going to call people out from the crowds and they came to him and then he appointed 12. So we're narrowing down large crowds that are crushing, pushing him. He goes up on the mountain, he calls a smaller group. And then from that smaller group, verse 14, he appointed the 12 whom he had also named apostles so they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12 Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, John the brother of James to whom he... Whom he gave the name Bonardris, that is, son of thunder, Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, by the way, who's Levi, the guy we studied earlier in the book, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I want to stop there and, and give you a truth. It really kind of gets to the, the crux of what's going on. It helps us better understand his followers, and it'll, it'll challenge us a little bit in our thinking. Truth number one a true disciple of Jesus is willing to follow him wherever he leads. The casual follower of Jesus, not so much. But a true follower of Jesus is willing to understand his teaching, understand his calling, willing and desires and has a heart to follow him wherever he goes. Now, Jesus is, is ushering in a new kingdom. Right, things are changing. The idea about what's going on in his ministry is beginning to grow and people are becoming more excited. But Jesus begins to make this distinction. And so he's going to call these 12 apostles that we're familiar with. And we see kind of a couple of interesting ideas about this calling. I want you to look at verse 13 again, if you would. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. He went up on the mountainside and he called to him those whom he desired. And they did what? They came to him. Let's just understand that again. Jesus calls them and he came to them, right? It kind of, kind of begins with this idea of a willing heart, isn't it? It's interesting to me when we think about the, 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 the followers of Christ and all the things Jesus did all through the Scripture. One of, one of the kind of foundational things we see in Scripture about a follower of Christ is it begins with somebody that's willing to follow him. Willing to do what he says, willing to obey his commands, willing to go wherever he calls him, whenever he calls him, right? We, we, we understand that sometimes it's not easy to do. We understand sometimes that it doesn't necessarily please ourselves. We understand sometimes that it's, it's not sometimes the popular thing to do. But we see all through scripture that when the Lord calls people, those that are willing to follow, he uses. 
I think sometimes we go into ministry thinking, I've got to do this and figure this out and study this and understand this and become equipped and available. And all those things are part of the process. But man, it just begins with a willing heart. I'll go, Lord. Like, I don't fully understand what this means. I don't fully understand what, what the end result is going to be. I can't see the next three to five years. I don't quite know, but I know you're calling me and I'm willing to go. I think about Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. I heard the voice, voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. You remember what he says? Send me. Right? It, it begins with, with a willing heart. And I want you to notice what happens now in, in verse 14. He appointed 12 whom he named apostles so they might be with him and send them out to preach and to have authority and, and to cast out demons. Right? There, there's the sense that Jesus wanted these men to, to follow him. Jesus wanted these men to, to listen to him, to be trained by him, to become his disciples. But part of the process, pull, pull verse 14 up again. I just want you to see it. Part of the process, he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might what? Be with him. Part of the process of the willingness to go and, and the willingness to serve is this just a desire to be with Jesus. You know, I have a desire to be with my family. You do as well. Like I have a desire to be with my wife. I have a desire to, to be with my children. And so when we have that desire, we're willing to set other things aside, aren't we? We're willing to set aside things of maybe the social world or sometimes things at work or even sometimes things with extended family because we want to be with our, our children or with our wife or, or however the Lord leads us. We understand that in order to, to be with them, sometimes other things have to be set aside. Jesus is going to get to that in a second. But it begins with this idea of a willing heart, a desire to be with, a desire to follow Jesus. This is the call of our lives. This is who Jesus says we ought to be. Listen, we start with a willing heart. We start with a desire to be with Jesus. We start with this understanding that we need to spend time with him. Right Now, this was easy for the disciples because in the first century, they literally just walked along with him. They ate with him. They slept with him. They did ministry with him. They saw the miraculous thing. All the things in his life, everywhere he went, all the things that he did, the disciples followed him. It was easy for them physically. It's not so much for us right? because Jesus isn't walking beside us physically. There's not a man standing here beside me. And so for us, we have to kind of think through ways we can be with Jesus. We think through ways that we can foster and, and grow that relationship. And, and so I just started thinking about good characteristics of relationships or character, maybe I should say characteristics of, of good relationships, ways in which we grow and get to know someone, ways in which we can foster that understanding and that love. And so I'm going to give you kind of four things characteristics of a good relationship that would go along with our spouse or with people here on, on this earth, but also with Christ. Like, what are some things we can do to grow and foster our relationship? It starts, I have them on the screen, the first one, just a desire to be with that person, right? That, that sounds kind of simple and elementary, but I'm going to speak for me. I can't speak for you. There are lots of times in my life every day when I probably desire to be uh, with someone or to do something other than what the Lord's called me to do. If I were honest. Like I don't always put Christ first. I want to. Like that's my desire. That's my goal. I wake up every morning and pray that God would use me. And it just pour out through me into the world. And he would do great things through me. That's always my prayer. Always my desire. But if I were honest it doesn't always happen. That There are times when I do things other than what the Lord would call me to do. There are times that I want to do things in the flesh. It begins just with this desire to, to be with the Lord, to, to be with that person. Second thing, regular times together. You know, I, I counsel with couples 
uh, sometimes in marriage, and I do a lot of premarital counseling, and, and there's always a theme. Anytime a couple struggles, like if you're struggling in your marriage, I'm just going to tell you right now, theme number one is communication. You can just take that to the bank. I mean, it's, it's, it's uncanny. Every time there's a, a marriage that I deal with, it's struggling, and I ask them about communication and talking and, and spending time together, it usually never happens. They're like, well, we just don't do that anymore. Then we got work and kids and soccer, and by the time we get home at night, we're exhausted. We go to bed, get up the next morning, do it all again, right? The idea of communication, talking, spending time together. If you want to grow in your faith, a desire to be with Christ, and then a regular time with him is crucial. Like in God's word. Like I'm trying to, I'm challenging myself. I haven't done this in a few years, but I'm challenging myself this year again to read all the way through the scripture. And so far, so good, right? We're in February, and I'm on track, and I'm enjoying it. But I just, I remember when I, when I'm kind of, when I set in front of myself this, this this clear path and these clear goals to read through Scripture, how it just molds me and shapes me, and I find myself thinking more and more about the Scripture every day because I'm in it on a regular basis. You know, you read three or four or five chapters a day in Scripture, and some of you are doing this year. You just, it kind of becomes part of who you are. You just think about Christ more, and you think about what you want to do more, and you think about how he's calling you. So regular time together. A third thing that's important in a good relationship, but it's also important in our relationship with Christ, is trust. Like, you know full well you can't have a good marriage without trust. You understand that. We get that in in, in the world. But we would say the same thing about Christ. Like, do we really trust that he is who he says he is? That's a good question to ask yourself. Like, it's easy to say that now when things are going the way you want them to go. It's harder to think that way sometimes when things are not going the way you want them to go. Like, like do I trust that his word is true? Do I trust that I can believe his promises? Do I trust that he really can work in my life and do great things? Right? It's, it's about trusting Christ. And the more you study and the more you pray and the more you learn to love him, the more you're going to trust him with your life, with everything. Like imagine saying to Christ, listen, I've got my whole life in front of me, Lord. Uh, I trust you so much that I'm willing to do anything you call me to do. Wherever you lead, if you call me to quit my job and move to Africa, I'll do it. If you call me to walk across the, the hallway to the cubicle or the office door next door and witness to this guy, I'll do it. Anything, Lord, I trust you. I believe that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe that you've got a plan for my life, and I'm willing to do, I'm willing to trust you wherever you lead. Like a lot of us kind of get up to that point and then kind of stop short of doing something maybe radical for Christ. I trust you with the things, Lord, that I'm familiar with, but anything beyond that, I'm not really going to trust you to do. That's part of our relationship and, and growth and understanding him more. And then the fourth, the idea of relationship and community. Right? Part of our Christian walk is about understanding Jesus in a community of believers. This is important. All right, when Jesus called his disciples... He would call them out oftentimes into desolate places to pray, and we've talked about this before. He would call them in desolate places to pray so he could prepare them to go back into the world, into the community, and serve. I think it's a danger of far too many believers that we kind of want to go into our prayer closet and and pray and study our Bible outside of community. The Lord created us to be with other, other believers, to challenge us, to encourage us, to help us think through how we ought to live and, and what we ought to be doing. And so we, we see one of the first traits or the, the tendencies we see with these followers, with these apostles, with, with these real believers, and, and I guess we'd say the true disciples of Jesus, is that they have a, a willing heart, a, a desire to follow, a desire to be with him. We need to kind of check our hearts there. 
Like, where's our desire? Like, anytime I, I read scripture, I try to say, listen, where am I in this? Where's my desire? Do I still desire to follow him? Do I still have a heart to give him whatever he asks? Do I still trust him in all things? So let's continue. I want you to notice what verse 14 says. So he called on the mountain those whom he desired, and he called them out, and he appointed 12 whom he called apostles. This is verse 14. So that they might be with him, and it doesn't stop there, and he might send them out. And then he gives a couple to preach and to have authority and cast out demons. Here's the second kind of characteristic or trait, right? The first characteristic of a true, true disciple is just a willingness to follow, a desire to be with Christ, a desire to know him more. Number two, a true disciple of Jesus is sent out. Right? The idea is we're going to grow in our faith, we're going to grow in our understanding, we're going to deepen our walk with Christ, not so we can just understand God's word more, but so that we can take that knowledge, be sent into the world to accomplish his purposes. Remember, Jesus is, is on the earth just a few short years with these apostles, two and a half, maybe three years. And he understands, listen, the time's coming when I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise from the dead, and I'm going to send back in heaven. And he understands that when he goes back in heaven, these 12 apostles are the only ones left. Right, they, they, they're left with kind of the keys to the kingdom. And so he wants to train them and encourage them and teach them and, and correct them. And eventually, he wants to send them out into the world. Now, I don't have time this morning. I wish I did. But there's a, there's a long list of the apostles and what they did after the death of Jesus. Some of it in Scripture. A lot of it is in church history. But the, the apostles, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, literally went all over the world. Africa, Europe, India. Thomas went to India. It's incredible what these disciples did after the death of Christ. They kind of took his teaching to heart, this idea that he had trained them and loved them, their desire to follow him. They took that to heart when he left because he sent them out. They continued to go. They continued to reach the world for him. Now, I've read this verse several times before. I'm going to read it again because it always challenges me. They, they say One of the things they say about being a preacher is when you get tired of saying something, that's the first time most people have heard it the first time. That's what they say. Like I, I, You should say things so many times that you get tired of saying it. When you get tired of saying it, most people hear it for the first time. So I'm going to read this again. I've said this probably a dozen times. I've read this verse probably a dozen times the last dozen times the last three or four years, but I want you to hear it. It's the high priestly prayer, John chapter 17. Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father, and listen to what he says. He's speaking to the heavenly Father. As you sent me into the world, right, the clear idea that the Lord sent Jesus, so I have sent them into the world. He's talking about his disciples at that moment, his 12 apostles. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Right? Jesus says, listen, just like you sent me, Lord, I've now trained and discipled these guys. I'm sending them into the world. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you, by the way. Not for just these only, not just for these disciples, but those who will believe in me through their word, right? Jesus says, listen, I've sent out the disciples, and then in the high priestly prayer, he prays for us that we would also be sent out. There, there, there's this calling in our lives. That there's this calling as a believer. There, there's something we kind of have to get straight and have to understand. If we're a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ, we have been sent into the world in order to accomplish his purposes. That's what Scripture teaches. We, we, we can't be passive in our faith. 
Like, there's nowhere in Scripture where we're given this right just to kind of come and sit and soak and never do anything with. There, there's always a call. Listen, draw nearer to Christ. Have a desire to follow Him. Have a desire to grow in your faith and grow in your word so that you now kind of get your marching orders so you're sent out into the world to do great things for the kingdom. Now, there are all sorts of things you can do. A lot of times we think of being sent out and we think we got to get on a plane and go to Africa. Not necessarily. You can, maybe. But the example that Kevin and Vicky gave is, and Brad and Charlotte, so many of us, an incredible example. They did it right here. I mean, God sent them to these children right where they were. It's real clear. I mean, some people he's going to call to go to Africa. Some people he's going to call to be a safe family. Other people are going to call to foster. Other people are going to be called to go and do evangelism in the street. Whatever the Lord calls you, you're sent to do something. And the foundation of the Christian walk is to understand this calling, understand that God has done something great in my life. He's called me to himself. Now he's equipped me and trained me, and he's sending me out into the world to, to impact the kingdom of the Lord. We see just this incredible example through the disciples. He called them so that he could bring them to himself and then send them out. That's what Scripture teaches. Now, we need, we need to finish up. We're low on time. I want you to see. I want you to continue. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, right? We've seen a picture so far of the disciples, the, the, the desire, the heart to go, the, the heart to be called, the heart to be sent out. And I want you to look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20. This is an interesting. I don't have time to do it. I'd love to talk to you more about it. But there's a, there's a literary device that Mark uses. He's the only one that does this. The, the simple word is a sandwich. That's what they call it. You know what a sandwich is, right? It's got a piece of bread, a piece of meat, and then a piece of bread again. Mark does that in his teaching. He'll start by talking about one thing. That's the first part of the bread. Go to something else, that's the meat, and then go back to the first thing, which is the other piece of bread. This is a sandwich. I want you to watch what he does. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then he went home. This is Jesus. And the crowd gathered so they could not even eat. Right There's the crowd again. So many people. He's come down off the mountain. So many people. And when his family, now this is important, his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. Right? His family's questioning him. Right Now, verse 22, he goes to another eye. Keep the family in mind. We're coming back to it. That's the bread. <laughs> Second part of the sandwich here. Verse 22 now. Here's the meat. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, back to the bread, back to the second part of the sandwich, verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they said to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, this is important, Here are my mothers and my brothers. Verse 35, underline it if you're taking notes. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Here's the third truth. 
A true disciple of Jesus is willing to forsake everything that keeps us from him. We're willing to follow him. We're willing to love him. We're willing to grow in our faith. We're willing to be sent out into the world. And then number three, we're willing to forsake everything that keeps us from him. Now, there's a lot in here. I've got a lot in here about the unpardonable sin. I don't have time to get into all of it. We're running out of time. The unpardonable sin basically is blasphemous of the Holy Spirit. It's when you attribute to Satan things that are being done by God. That's what the, the, the religious leaders did. Right? They said, listen, Satan is at work. Satan is casting out demons. Satan is doing this when really it was the Holy Spirit. Right? Jesus warns against that. Be careful not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Be careful not to attribute to God, excuse me, attribute to evil things that the Lord is doing. But the verse that's more important in here in my mind that people forget and they kind of ignore is verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, right? That's, that's a beautiful picture because we focus on the unpardonable sin, right? And I can remember growing up as a kid wondering if I'd committed the unpardonable sin. You remember that? Like if I have I done this? Is it something I need to fix? Is it something I need to correct? Instead, what I see in verse 28 is that all sins will be forgiven. Right? If we accept Christ and believe in him and ask for forgiveness, our sins will be forgiven. But the thing I want you to notice in this text is the rejection of his family and the call that Jesus gives us to true discipleship. Look at verse 35. Jesus is very simply, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother, right? He's sitting around the crowd. People have questioned him. The, the Pharisees have come down from Jerusalem. They're watching him. They're wondering. They're asking, is this guy casting out demons by the power of Satan? What's he doing? Who's a true follower? Because his family now has questioned him. And he says very simply, listen, whoever does the will of God, those are the true disciples. It's a very interesting distinction. And I fear in our modern society, we've kind of gotten away from this. I fear we've gotten away from this idea of, listen, Christ has called me to do certain things. Christ is at work in my life. I need to follow him and obey him in all things. Because the question for everybody in this room, the question for everybody in this room they've got to answer is, are we a true believer of Christ? Are, are we really willing to set aside things that stand in our way? Even our own family, as Jesus says in order to do the things of Christ. I want to finish with this quote from David Platt. I, I like David Platt. He was a pastor in Birmingham, has written several books, was the, was the president of the International Mission Board until just recently. But one of the reasons I like Platt is he always challenges me. Like I read his books and I sometimes get frustrated. You ever do that? You read a book and you're so frustrated, but you pick it back up because you know he's right. I'm always challenging what he says. I want you to listen to what David Platt says about our modern society. He says, we're giving in to the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus that we're more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism who would never call us to give everything we have away, a Jesus who's fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts because, after all, he loves us just the way we are, a Jesus who wants to be balanced and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether, a Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. But do you and I realize what we're doing? We're molding Jesus into our image. It's powerful. 
He's beginning to look a lot like us because that is whom we are most comfortable with. And the danger now is that when we gather in our church buildings to sing and lift up our hands and worship, we may not actually be worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, we may be worshiping ourselves. This brings us to the critical question for every professing or potential follower of Jesus. Do we really believe he is worth abandoning everything for? Do you and I really believe that Jesus is so good, so satisfying, so rewarding that we will leave all we have and all we own and all that we are in order to find our fullness in him? Do you and I believe him enough to obey him and to follow him wherever he leads? It's a great question. It's a question that his followers were challenged with in Mark chapter 3. They'll be challenged with that all the way through the rest of the book. It's a question we need to answer today. Are we true followers of Christ? Now I want you to bow your heads. We're going we're to go into a time of invitation here. And, and I just want to challenge you with that idea. As our musicians come up, I want to I challenge you with that idea of true discipleship, of really following Christ, of being willing to give up everything for the sake of his kingdom. And while we're doing that now, we've got some families in here. We want to kind of celebrate this at the end. We've got some families, Kevin and Vicki, Brad and Charlotte, and I think there may be some others, Nicole. If you are on, on any level have been a safe families, uh, family or you fostered or you have adopted, you've loved children in some way, I want you just to stand up if you would, make your way down front. Just come on down. As we, as we start our time of invitation, anybody that falls into those categories, I want you to come down front. Just stand across the front. And as we bow our heads and kind of pray and, and, and be challenged with this idea of obedience and discipleship and following Christ at the ends of the earth, let's just pray together. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father, for, for the opportunity we have to serve you, to trust you, Lord. We thank you for the truth you've given us. We thank you for these families that are making their way down front right now, Father, that have given so much. And, Lord, we just want to celebrate their sacrifice. We want to celebrate their obedience. And Lord, we want to ask you to continue to bless them. Use them for the sake of your kingdom, Father. Challenge us in this room to be sent in some way. Lord, a, a desire to know you more, to, to be sent out into the world, Father, to be willing to sacrifice all things for the sake of your kingdom, Lord. Just open up our hearts right now. Speak to us during this time of invitation. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. A time to pray. You respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.